I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to All Stats Out We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm CBM version 1.546, the AI we recruited to replace Martin Riley of the podcast. This is what Big Sam fears the most. And I'm joined by the consequence of climate change of the podcast, Dan Holdsworth. This is what Big Sam feared the most. And finally, I'm joined by the unfulfilled Premier League survival bonus of the pod. This is really what Big Sam fears the most. It's Adam Elliott. How are you doing today, Adam? Um, I somehow don't think Big Sam would find me particularly intimidating or scary. But yeah, I'm well, thanks, considering that my football team is about to suffer its first relegation with me as an actual fan of the team. And I bet that makes you two feel really old, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, in all seriousness, it's, it's been too long since I've been on. And I'd, I'd like to dissect some of the gloom. Um, and yeah, and Jacob's been back recently, so I thought it was about time I ended my own hi- hiatus as well. Yeah, it's been some time since uh, you, was, you was last on, so it's great to have you back. And I think actually the last time you was on may have actually been a Spurs game as well. Quite a while ago now, well before Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I think it was around November time, that game. Yeah. Just before the World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. That's good. Um, how about you, Dan? How are you doing today? I'm pretty good, mate. Pretty good. I've just literally walked in the door from watching my son play cricket, and I've had two pints of beer, so everything's good in the world. And it's sunny, and it's sunny, so... Oh, that's good. Big Big Sam would definitely yeah. approve of that, having a couple of pints yeah, in yeah. the pod. That's good. Drinking on the job. It wasn't... It wasn't- it wasn't gravy or wine, I'm afraid. It was just beer, so, you know. <laughs> well, that'll do, that'll do. Uh, so, uh, Adam, yeah. what have you eaten today? You may have been noticing that I brought in a nice food-related intros. Um, I made... So, I've had a bit of a thing at the moment where I'm making my own garlic bread using various different types of bread. So, I had some pasta, but I had it with a different garlic bread again today. So, I've made ones with, like, just regular bread. Tiger bread's quite good. Um, I've not done naan yet, but I've done wraps. They work really well. So I had a cheesy garlic bread with my um, tea tonight, and I had um, it with a wrap and like loads of like different bits in it, and it was really, really good. That sounds amazing. I do enjoy making a homemade garlic bread. It's something which I enjoy doing as well. Uh, tonight I had a homemade curry. I'm not really sure what type of curry you'd quantify it as. Possibly closest to a madras. It had sweet potato in there and onions and garlic. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed making a curry. Um, how about you, Dan? What we had um I, I made beef chili i made it at lunchtime today and then cooked it steady this afternoon so it was um it's pretty good actually just uh just a standard beef chili with you know with beans and, and what have you and beef mince and need that to soak them pints up well exactly well i had it before for the cricket so i might have a second portion <laughs> after the podcast actually I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the need for some beef chili extra so no that's good uh but yeah. can't, be, can't be a good chili and uh, now we're talking about food we can go now because leeds united isn't very good much to talk about bye everyone <laughs> but no, but no, seriously. Um, we're here today to talk about Leeds United and the recent loss against West Ham. So first of all, we'll do a quick game summary as to what happened. 
So the game started reasonably well for Leeds, managing to break a number of times with Patrick Bamford doing a good job making runs past the defensive line of West Ham, but failing to create any really good chances, with West Ham having most of the possession but not really making much of it either. And then Leeds United scored a goal in the 16th minute. Uh, Weston McKenney chucked the ball into the box with Rodrigo striking it on the volley, giving Fabianski no chance. Leeds tried to hold on to this lead, but allowed West Ham to get into the game, which eventually led to Declan Rice finishing a far post cross past Joel Robles in the 31st minute. Nothing much happened for the rest of the half, both teams having low quality chances, with West Ham having a large share of these, and Patrick Bamford had to leave injured, being replaced by William Nyonto. Leeds struggled to get out of their own half in the second half, with West Ham again having the majority of possession. West Ham took the lead in the 71st minute, when Bowen was played through and finished deftly over Robles. Leeds had a half chance via Somerville, which was saved in the 84th minute, but the game was finally settled in the 93rd minute, when Leeds produced some frankly comical defending, allowing Lanzini to score. The game ended 3-1. Is there anything missing out from there, boys? Nothing for me. Good stuff, good stuff. Okay, so we'll get on with the interrogation. So, first of all, we seem to be doing relatively well, at least I felt, in the opening parts of the game. And then we scored, again, quite early. Uh, what do you think happened to cause us to not threaten as much after we scored? And maybe also what caused West Ham to threaten more? We'll go with um, Dan on this first. Um, well, I mean, my, my initial view, uh, and this kind of corresponds with kind of what you put on that great Twitter thread you put out Martin I thought was that we kind of sat back and invited them on but I think having watched the, the, the game back not we didn't necessarily sit back more I just um, I, I don't think these intentionally sat back more and, and ceded the possession to West Ham I just think West Ham got more more aggressive it was more intense with us um, so I just think it was a case of Leeds didn't change anything, but we're just unable to respond to West Ham, maybe bringing the game more to Leeds once it, once once game state changed and Leeds' inability to kind of counter that. So I think it was that rather than it being a kind of a, something that Leeds did or Leeds changed post going one up. Yeah, I'd agree with that. During the game and live and at halftime, I was thinking, why did we sit back so much? And it just really felt yeah. live that we were sitting back. But when you rewatch it, we weren't actually. It was still very similar, at least yeah. to what, that's the way I saw it anyway. Adam, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I, I don't think we were generally like intense at that point either. I think we weren't counter-pressing quite as aggressively in their half, and it was definitely a lot less frequent. But I think the big thing is Bamford going off, and I know that we've done this to death, and on this podcast and we've talked about it a lot but it is actually something that's really important to to talk about that just killed us and whether people like to admit it or not it, and a lot of these times don't um and i understand that there is a big clamor to have rodrigo in the team but we literally need the natural number nine qualities that bamford has to help us get up the pitch rodrigo needs to be on on the pitch as well in my opinion you should be playing both of them but because undoubtedly he is the best finisher in our squad and a really good ball striker and i think when you're in a situation like we are, where you just need a point from anything you can get, I think players like Rodrigo and Harrison, who can hit a ball quite cleanly, quite hard, at just any given moment, that's really important to have in the team. You also need a way of just sort of keeping the ball in their half. And when Bamford went off injured, we sort of struggled to do that to any degree. And it was more pressing in the second half. I definitely think it was something to, to mention in the first half as well. I know that, that for example, Rodrigo, his season is like, it's not just that he's a better finisher than mine, but he's way more confident. He's overperformed his XG to quite a large extent. He's good at getting those quick snapshots away and things like that, which is why I would still have him in the team. And the goal that he took is kind of an evident reason why you should have him in the team. But at the same time, Bamford's hold up play, his pressing ability, just him engaging them higher up and also giving us the ability to sort of get up the field when we need to is so important. And without him, we don't do it. I think what's fair to say is that with Rodrigo in the team, 
Um, and out, and no Bamford, you will probably take the chances that come more often. But with Bamford in the team and no Rodrigo, you're more likely to create chances because you essentially can just sustain attacks more often. And I think when he went off injured, the whole game plan went out the window. And you've got to remember that under Big Sam and to be honest, under all three managers we've had this season, it's pretty fair to say that Bamford has been like a key player in those systems. I think when you don't have much of a like in possession build up structure, that you need that sort of focal point to play off. And Bamford was basically, I think he started the game really well. I don't know whether you two agree, but I think he played really well in the first 20 minutes. And his ability to get us up the field and just alleviate pressure as well is just so important. And we just didn't have it. Yeah, that's some great points. Um, Bamford is absolutely crucial to all of the styles of play that we've seen this season, um, which, which Leeds have played under all the managers we've had, many, many managers we've had. Um, Dan, did you want to say something there, Bamford? Well, I was, I was, I was going to say, yeah, every single manager, and, and they've all got different styles of play, they all turn to him, don't they, with Bamford? So, you know, for all the, all the fans clamouring for, you know, complaining about his finishing, which is fair enough because his finishing has let us down this season, he brings way more. I mean, this game he made two, what was it two really good like searing runs from kind of from range that kind of dragged West Ham the other way and, and, and kind of scared them I think you know there was a run within the first two minutes yeah. where he kind of took two, mm-hmm. took three touches and his last touch wasn't the best put it out but I think it just set the marker down didn't it it made them think well we can't press too hard because if we press and they get over the top of us he's got the he's got the legs in our centre halves Bamford gives you that you know that kind of pace from range he's not a sharp player is he but he's quite good at covering the ground you know when he gets his stride going kind of thing so. I just think he does the kind of battling qualities. You know, he goes up against the centre-halves in an old-fashioned target man way, but he also can run in behind, particularly when the game is stretched. And I just I just think, yeah, Rodrigo doesn't do that, does he? Rodrigo is kind of fairly sharp. He moves fairly sharp within, you know, within the box, that kind of thing, to get on the end of things. Um, but yeah, he doesn't have that kind of running power, does he, in behind that Bamford gives us. And, and that gives... I think that puts the, the, the opposition press off a bit, doesn't it? Because they think, well, if we go too hard and they break us, Bamford can get behind, where Rodrigo doesn't offer that at all. Definitely, and I think a lot of fans are just not wanting to admit this even now because they're just yeah. so quick to sort of blame him um, for everything that happened recently with the Leicester miss and things like that, and that's really going to underpin yeah. our season when it shouldn't. There's been a category, a catalogue, sorry, of errors and mistakes throughout the club and throughout the season in other games, and unfortunately, Bamford's like end to the season is just being sort of blurred over by um, what's happened recently with the, the Leicester miss and things like that. I mean, the, the flip side is Bamford doesn't score the goal Rodrigo scores either. Yeah. That's the yeah, flip that's side, isn't saying, it? Yeah. We, yeah, yeah, we have, to, we have to mention that as well, don't we? Also, you know, Rodrigo, I mean, the technique on that finish was fantastic, fantastic wasn't yeah. it? Great goal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I've really come to really enjoy Rodrigo this season, actually. He's one of the highlights. He's been a player that's been frustrating for, for system reasons, but actually I've really come to enjoy his, like, it's just his individual quality this season. His individual moment things, isn't it? It's what we had with Rafinha yeah. last yeah. season, but we don't have enough yeah. of those guys, really. Yeah. Yeah, the only other moments guy we've had has, hasn't been a reliable player that we can count on, uh, Luis Sinistera. Um, if he had yeah. been available more often this season, then we would have had more of those players who can generate those individual moments of brilliance, which can get us out of games. Unfortunately, this time, um, these moments of brilliance wasn't enough. Um, <laughs> I just next want to go, look into the out-of-possession strategy compared to the previous results under Big Sam. I felt there were some changes um, in the way we approached this game as opposed to the previous two. Uh, Dan, uh, do you think that the changes that we made were sufficient? I kind of think there were initially because, like the, the, I mean, we won the ball quite well, didn't we? High up the pitch or around the halfway line quite a few times in that first twenty-minute spell. So it kind of seemed to have worked until it didn't. Until West Ham thought oh, we can punch back. So I mean, it wasn't. It's not a high press. It's never a high press under Sam, wasn't it? But it's kind of like an like a. 
in like an inviting mid press that then became aggressive, wasn't it? Around the halfway point, I think was kind of how how I I saw it. I don't know if you agree. In in terms of in terms of how we're pressing, it didn't feel like a, a massively different change uh, in approach. Just more in terms of shape. I thought we were kind of we we're kind of four four two ish for maybe four diamond, four, you know, four four two diamond perhaps. With occasionally McKenney pushing into the front line, changed didn't it? Depending on what the opposition were doing. Yeah, it just felt like a slightly more aggressive mid mid block, I guess, which is probably similar to Newcastle, but very different to the Man City game. So, yeah, I'm not sure there was a massive difference, but slight a slight shape change difference. Whereas against Man City and Newcastle, it was more like 4-5-1, wasn't it? Or 4-3-3. Uh, whereas this was more 4-4-2-ish, I think, but it did kind of change depending on what West Ham were doing. I, I felt that the press was more, uh, well, higher than it has had been personally. I felt there were, there were mm. a, a lot of moments where we were pressing particularly high. I mean, it, it could just be mm. because of the past two games and how little we did pressing at moments in those that it just felt like a more a big of a change than what it actually was. But I did feel that there were so at times there was five players who was pressing in, 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 in the forward mm. line, which was a lot more than what we saw in previous games, I felt. And I think it was, was effective for, for, for a time, um, but I think West Ham also mm. managed to get out of it quite easily. Um, I don't think yep. it caused them too many problems, and also I feel that it, I think the way it was pressing it kind of felt a bit Jesse Marsh style, if you, if you follow me, because I agree, especially yeah, yeah, when yeah. we got into deeper areas, our defensive line was so so compact. Um, it, so that yep. it, it's just honestly, at one point there was all four of the defenders were yards away from each other, with Jack Harrison at, next to Strauch acting as, as as a fullback in a back f- six at times <laughs> and it just, but even then they were so narrow all of them fit inside the box there was no one covering the, the gaps and then that's what happened with West Ham's opening goal um, that uh, Rice just drifted into that far post area like we've seen so many times this season so yeah I, I don't think that the changes were sufficient but I guess a high press isn't something that Big Sam is used to em- employing or training maybe yes it's something I, I you put up the, for, for the listeners. You should look at Martin's Twitter account. He put out some good images this week of um, yesterday of um, was it today anyway of the, of the game and how Leeds were kind of quite compact and quite impressed. So when I was watching the game back this afternoon a little bit, I just before the goal, maybe was the goal thirty minutes, maybe the West Ham yeah, goal. Yeah, was yeah. I think it was on twenty eight. Yeah, on twenty eight minutes, I noticed the same shape for the goal. It was the, it was almost like the, the it was like a precursor to it, and and like Stroke had, had, had tucked in and almost been like a left centre-back in a free and Harrison was almost left-back and there was like this big gap in front of them and it was just like they'd obviously spotted that and they played the ball wide to their right to our left if you like and then flipped it back across it didn't work but I guess they'd realised that they'd probably twigged at some point in that in that period that they could probably move it across quickly and then switch it back over and the, the centre mid that runs out wide can pick the ball up so yeah it's definitely something they'd spotted I think about how we were kind of clumping and and you know, and defending in kind of in kind of we were like gang defending weren't we we were going after the ball in like twos and threes and kind of leaving gaps that's why it felt more Jesse Marsh like as, as Martin said it was almost like yeah. we were hunting in packs yeah. again in the counter press and then yeah. they were playing either over or around it and they had those little spaces where they could just run into it yeah. and when you've got players like Bowen just running at you you don't want that so yeah I completely echo what you both said yeah, Bowen had a field there, didn't he? he? Did. Pascal, <laughs> poor Pascal. Yeah, uh, but Strad didn't have, have the greatest thing. But I think at um, one point Bowen yeah, moved yeah. over, didn't he, to the to the other side? He, yeah. he was moved over, and I think that was in the second half, and that should bring us on to the second half. So, do you, what do you think changed in the second half to show that we had no so little threat in the second half compared to the first? Dan, oh, well, I think it's the lack of threat in behind. 
I think because obviously with Bamford and to a lesser to some extent Jackie Harrison as well, we had that kind of threat in behind early in the game. And I think once that had gone, I think West Ham probably just slowly gained confidence that they could, you know, they could go toe to toe with us and press us and get aggressive with us and not worry about the threat in behind. Mm-hmm. If you're worried about a threat in behind, you're not going to go toe to toe, are you? It's like it's like a boxing match, isn't it? If you if you're not worried about what's coming back, you'll throw more punches. And I think that's the analogy I would use with West Ham. Eventually, they realised the, the the threat had gone from Leeds, so they could start throwing more punches and. And, and hurting us that way. So I just think they they felt that they could press and get more aggressive with us because of that, and and, and you know and kind of neutralised us that way. I think. Yeah, that's fair. And I, th- I also felt at moments West Ham were even sitting back a little bit. I think it was after, um, like it was well, it wasn't immediately after the first goal, but there were moments in the second half where I saw where they were sitting back and allowing us a possession, knowing that we weren't going to be able to do anything with it, and it yeah. just felt like we was just. <laughs> trying to force it through and at times in the second half we had Robin Cock going up to act as the target man for goal kicks which is <laughs> just so pri- primitive yeah. and primitive, primitive when I can say the word right and blunt, for- blunt yeah, force yeah. and it was never going to be effective and it just, just we just could not do anything with it and as well as that West Ham I think that I think their defensive line was a little bit deeper which meant that we weren't able to target the balls beyond the defensive line as easily and of course since we didn't have Bamford on there to attempt to do that because he's the best one that we've got to make those runs past the defensive line it just meant that we that our biggest threat from the first half was just vanished they solved it a combination of, of our injury and West Ham doing some slight sh- shift to the way they do things just really cut out all the threat that we had uh, Adam do you have anything to add on this yeah it's just a real shame to see the death of build-up playing the la- <laughs> lack of being able to build up through the thirds at all now so when West Ham decided to step off was a little bit and sit a bit deeper knowing that we weren't going to be able to break them down because we don't have that. A lot of our defenders were sort of stood for a good four or five seconds before playing a pass, just looking for a runner or looking for someone to make a little move and barely anyone was showing for the ball. Um, one of the players that I felt like was, but he was substitute, was Jack Harrison. And I think that we were sometimes hitting, like I think Dan mentioned, into the sort of channels. And once he went off, that stopped or it was like extremely less than it was um but yeah he's obviously a good player in those moments you want to get him sort of he's good at looking after the ball when he's not really like a hold-up player but as a winger he's good at like facing away from someone and being able to hold onto the ball and get players up a little bit and again without him we weren't able to do that um so yeah it's just a real shame for me that the way that we've you know deteriorated so badly since Bielsa in terms of being able to keep the ball and and West Ham knew that and then it just played into their hands massively. I think it was just Cock and Christensen and just looking at them, like looking for an option. Like, it was just so frustrating, but this is where we are now and this is how we're going to play under Allardyce and not too dissimilarly how we played under uh, Gratia and Marsh as well. Like We just don't have that build-up structure anymore. Yeah, that's, that's true. Very true. Dan, did you want to add something else on this? Well, I was going to say, I think Nonto turned out to be a bad sub, didn't he? I think, um, I mean, Somerville probably would probably would have been a better sub at that point. I think, you know, he looks after the ball a bit more, doesn't he? He might have held onto the ball a bit more than Nonto does. Nonto is that kind of pure transitional threat, isn't he? Whereas I wonder if Somerville had come on for Nonto um, when Bamford went off. Maybe, perhaps, it, Somerville could have, you know, could have held onto the ball and built something. You know, built for the thirds with Somerville, where we're not really going to do that with Nonto a great deal. Or we weren't able to do against West Ham. I think I think West Ham not just because they stood off, but they also just like realised that they were forcing us to go long by standing off. And when we did that, and it just came straight back at us because they won it 
it was really easy yeah. for them to transition as well. And then if they lost the ball high up, they were also pretty aggressive at pressing quickly. So they, yeah. they recognised they could do that. And both of our fullbacks were just lacking quality when it mattered, really. And I, I did want to touch on something, sorry to tangent slightly, which is that a lot of people talk about a lack of effort in the players. And I think we're not a podcast that sort of goes into those sorts of things. We like to talk about the, the more stats-based stuff and the tactical-based stuff. But... Um, I don't really buy into it. Maybe it's true of a few players, but I think I think players just looked passive on the day, and I don't think it was more a lack of um, like wanting to play the ball. It was just a lack of intensity because they didn't know what to do with it. I don't think it's necessarily a thing where they are you know downing tools or whatever. So I, I just wanted to mention that because it was a lot of talk on Twitter about that the other day about Rodrigo being the only player that tries, and that's literally because he scored. I don't think there's any other reason and stuff like that. And I just don't really buy into it. I think it's confidence, though, isn't it? Yeah. People, when you're confident, you're confident. You do things first time. You do things with purpose. You look like you're trying more. When, when if you're second guessing yourself, it looks like you're kind of being passive and yeah. not trying. Exactly. There's a difference. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's I think it's confidence rather than lack of lack of effort. Yeah, I would say. I'd, I'd agree with both of what you're saying there. There's, it's the it's the yeah. easy thing to get out of, isn't it? Where people say why we lost, we, we we didn't try hard enough, we didn't do this, we didn't do that, yeah. and. The, the players were, clear, were clearly trying, in my opinion. Uh, there was a, a lot of effort on display, and I don't think that was the thing which caused us to lose that. And also saying that they don't care enough, and I think that's so far from the truth, especially with a big chunk of the squad. Especially, yeah, they look defeated yeah. at the end of the game, didn't they? Absolutely. Like fallen and, yeah. and I think that they definitely a lot of them do care. It's just maybe a lack of quality and a lack of confidence at the moment. And that is what's doing it for us. It just feels like the lazy sort of pundit remark to say that they're not trying, and I don't like that. Yeah, it's the easy thing to, to say just to get out of, of why to actually analyse yeah. what happened in the match yeah. rather than just, 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 yeah, but yeah. And that actually ties in quite nicely to the next question. Uh, we had uh, a couple of questions on this, actually, one from, from Dazzy Millings and from El Barker on Twitter regarding our fitness levels. And additionally, Luke Ayling said the following in his post-match press conference. Um, it's a heartbreaking press conference, I suppose this, by the way. Um, but this is one mm. thing that he said. In years gone past, teams feared us when it came to running point of view and fitness and stuff. And I just don't feel like it's there. And he also said we put so much into the first half. In the, in the second half, we just had nothing. Do you think that any of our issues can be put down to fitness of players and any decline in this <coughs> compared with our levels under Bielsa? So, um, what do you think on this one, Dan? So, yeah, I, I, I did a bit of digging around on this one. So, we, we've all heard the rumours, haven't we, that the training under Marsh wasn't great and, you know, all the did was rondos and all this kind of stuff. And the players were kind of asking for more fitness work. So, any kind of any kind of wonder if Marsh was, if, if that is true, if Marsh was, you know, backing off the players to give them a rest from Bielsa, which, which kind of makes some kind of sense, I guess. But, um it doesn't necessarily always show up in the performances, does it? Like, you know, like Leeds under Marsh often came late in games, didn't they, and tried to come back from games, generally because of game state, because we're training so often. But, um, you know, so I don't think it was mega obvious from the eye test that they were lacking fitness, but we do hear it a lot. Well, we do, we have heard it from Ailing now, and we've heard it unofficially from rumours that the players have not liked the lack of fitness training under the Marsh time. So I went to have a look at when Leeds conceded and when Leeds can score goals. And um, the I was looking at when Leeds concede, and basically Leeds concede 45% of their goals this season in the Premier League between 60 minutes and the 90 minutes. So 
you know, a good chunk of their goals are scored in the last half hour. But that's true of all games of football. So across the Premier League average, 38% of the goals are conceded or scored in, in, in that last half hour period, whereas Leeds is 45. So it's not a massive uplift. It doesn't show there's a massive drop off from Leeds, although there is a bit of a drop off. And, and Leeds, Leeds score something like 33% of our goals in the last 20 minutes of games. So again, I don't think Leeds, the, the stats don't necessarily massively back up that Leeds drop off a mile in the last sort of 20 minutes, half an hour of games. So it doesn't feel like they're massively unfit, but, but we're hearing like, so, you know, we're hearing this kind of evidence and people like Hayley are saying that, that they're not fit. Now, I guess from his perspective, he's thinking back to the Bielsa days when they were super fit, when they could absolutely run teams down in the last 10 to 15 minutes of a game. Whereas now they're probably just an ordinary football team in terms of fitness. I don't think they're unfit. They're probably they're probably as fit as Wolves or Villa or you know, kind of mid, mid-range teams. You know, like ordinary teams aren't particularly renowned for being super fit. So I wonder if Ailing's talking just purely from a, a comparison perspective with the Bielsa days. Running power doesn't seem to be terrible, but I it's definitely a drop down from Bielsa is, is my from, is my perspective on the thing. Yeah, it's so hard to quantify this, this kind of stuff because we there's no access to any kind of running data publicly. Um, that's only something that the clubs generally have, other than the odd thing which sometimes people put on on Twitter. And it's yeah. just not something that's so hard for us to say without a shadow of a doubt that yes, the fitness levels have dropped. And like you mentioned there about Ailing, that he's experienced what it's like to be in a Bielsa side and he, he he'll know himself when his fitness isn't as good as when it was, was then. So there is something to that. But at the same time, under Bielsa, I think there's not many people would argue that the, the training was massively intense and it did cause problems for players injury-wise, especially the ones who have been doing it for a long period of time. And I don't think there's only so long that that can keep up. And we know that we should have refreshed the squad to help deal with that a lot more than, than what, what we did. And I don't think we can put put this season down to fitness levels entirely. Because I do think, like like you mentioned, there has been a lot of goals scored late in games. And it's maybe not as much as what Bielsa had under, but I don't think they're unfit now. Adam, do you have anything to add on this? Well, I mean, this is kind of pure speculation, isn't it? So we we can't really attest to any of it or say for sure. Um, I think there's another thing is that um, maybe the players, the ones that were here at, during the BLC era, maybe don't feel as fit as they once did. And maybe that is a combination of things. Maybe it is the fitness work that Phil and, shall we say, other friends of the pod have mentioned to us as being lacking under Marsh. Um, maybe it's that. Maybe it's um, just an age thing. Players like Ailing are in their 30s now. They've been playing this sort of thing for years now. Uh, this exact sort of intense style of play. So it's maybe caught up with them a bit. Or maybe it's just a case of like, they're, like Dan said, almost comparing it and he feels like they're less intense because he has that direct comparison he can make. I don't think it's something we can definitely say for sure or definitively that it's happened or whatever. Um, it, like I said, maybe we lack a bit of um, intensity in our play but I, I think there's a multitude of reasons for that whether that's sort of confidence or or fitness or whatever it could be um, so I don't think you can definitely say it's it's one thing I mean, I'd like to say I kind of believe Ailing. I think Ailing's telling the truth yeah. I think he's credible what he's saying and I mean there's always that there was that example wasn't there in Bielsa's first season when we're playing Wigan, I think, and you know the ball went. Wigan got a counter attack, and the whole Leeds team chased back. Do you remember yes, that time? And there's like, like nine, seven Leeds yeah, players, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Oh. whatever it was. And like we don't see that now. You just don't. You do not see that now. You're not going to see. You're not going to see like McKenny and Rocker and those guys chasing back. You maybe see some of the naturally fitter guys like Harrison, perhaps. But so it, you, you do, we don't. We definitely don't see that intensity. But the intensity in the Bielsa was off the charts, I think. And what we see now is just normal. Yeah. 
you know, it's kind of is that. So I think I think that's probably the, the point I would make really. But I, I, I mean, I do I do think standards at the club, like athletic standards at the club, are, are, are a little bit lower than they should be. I mean, Leeds don't have the money to buy superstar players like really really high end Premier League technical players. You know, good players, but not really high end players. So clubs like Leeds should probably need to be extra intense and need to be fitter. So this is this is something Leeds should probably tackle this summer. Um, well, not so much this summer from the Championship, but if we're in the Premier League, you know, our advantage came from having a super fit team that could outrun teams, that could, that could outrun the opposition, um, if not out technical the opposition. So I, I do think it's something we should look to regain, I would say. I, I, it's something I want to see the, hear the club talk about and bring back. John's going to love you saying you want more struggle ball players. That's going to go down really well with him. Well, I don't want that, <laughs> but but the, the point is, like, if we're in the Premier League, like, you know, we, we don't have the money to, I mean, we can. Like under Bielsa, we played like great possession football, but yet we had the yeah, intensity. The you know, why not? Why not? Why not both? Why not? Why not? You know, why not aim for both? I absolutely don't want more struggle ball. We had awful struggle ball under Marsh. That was terrible. But um, you know, if if we're gonna have if if the squad's gonna be like it is, then we need to we need to be able to to, to run teams down, don't we? Yeah, it's definitely a bad thing to say that it is something which we've, despite all the improvements that we have made, trying to fulfil a squad for what Jesse Marsh wanted, which was a, a squad full of pressy boys, and it doesn't seem to have really come true, really, and that's that no. can be put a lot onto um, Arta and the way that we have recruited and looked to recruit, and it's maybe the whole thing with Marsh was wrong anyway, we, we know this. And there's also another thing I think that needs to be said about the fitness is also the how that ties into confidence. I think a confident player and someone who is motivated and confident will most likely give that extra ten percent, which they wouldn't do if they weren't if yeah. they weren't as confident. So I think I think that also ties in as well when the, the we are as in a, such a bad way as what as what we are now, and it's, I think it's quite natural that that would happen, and especially when we so often go ahead and then concede. <laughs> it, it could just one of the things that's going to hit, hit the confidence so badly. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today. But I think we've discussed this one quite a bit and we'll move on. Next question is, so we're going to touch on this more in the summer. So briefly, where does the fault lie and how badly this season has gone? And also, when did this decline begin? Adam? Uh, I don't want this to turn into a rant, and I do think we'll cover it properly in the summer. I think there's plenty of blame to apportion around to multiple people. I think you can go back as far as Bielsa, and I know people hate me saying that, but I'm just going to go there. Um, I think that even if you think there are problems at board level and with the hierarchy, that's fine, and I completely agree with you. Obviously, that's true. But it's impossible to ignore that Bielsa was difficult in terms of the the transfer market, I've seen some talk about people thinking that um, he was rejecting a lot of these players that Auto was putting to him because they just simply weren't good enough, and and that's clear now because we've signed a load of them and they're not good enough. And I've heard that 
multiple times recently. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think the case in point being like someone like Dan James, he wanted him over you know a multitude of good wingers and that were a lot better than him because he basically was a good pressy boy and would suit his system. So I think you can go back that far and you can say that some of the problems started then, just to be clear. But if we're blaming people for this season, obviously Bielsa gets pretty much none of it um, at this stage. I think you can definitely put quite a lot on Victor Otto's shoulders. I think you can definitely put on a lot on Rodgersani and Kinnear's shoulders. And I would 100% put a lot of blame on Jesse Marsh. Um, but that is, at the end of the day, the fault of Victor Otto, who not only hired him, but wanted to stick by him for a lot longer than other members of the board did, as we now know. Um, and if he had been sacked around the time of the sort of Liverpool, Bournemouth sort of games around that period. Do I think we could have got a decent coach in then and they'd have a couple of months to assess their squad before January, got a few signings in the door, different to the ones we got, more suited to the ones we got uh, in terms of a style of play? Yes, and then that might have changed our season. We might be having a different conversation right now where we're actually already safe. So I think, like I said, lots of blame can be spread around, um, but I would put maybe the most at Victor Otto's feet at this point, knowing that he wanted to stick with Marsh as long as he did, knowing that he backed him in the market. And a signing like Jorginho Ruta sums it all up, really, doesn't he? Because at that point in time, we needed someone proven with good quality who could go straight into the team, a little bit older probably as well, just so they, they were ready ready-made for the Premier League and I'm I'm not for one second saying Ruta has not got talent and isn't going to be a good player one day but he was very much a project signing and uh, is now being forced to play in the under-21s uh, where if you go by what Phil said the other day hasn't really been impressing there either so it was the wrong decision to get him and again that falls at Victor Otto's feet so I don't want to turn into a rant here but I would say that, that he probably gets the most blame but I would still blame plenty of people whether it's even Grathia um, gets some of it to be honest, and so does, like I said, Kinnear, uh, Rodrizani, um, Orta, Marsh, all of those. So yeah, there's, there's plenty to go around. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. There's some different things that have contributed to the way this season has ended up going to, but I think that a big part of this is how long we stuck with Jesse Marsh and whether it was even the right thing to let him have any of this season. Because um, I don't think anyone would say that he really impressed with the way we stayed up. Um there wasn't that many wins in, in those final games last season and a big chunk of luck went our way for us to stay up. So how much of that was really on Jesse Marsh? And look, I, I'll be happy to admit that I wanted to give him the season and I wanted to back him with signings because I just wanted some stability and I wanted to just give it a go and see if it could work. Obviously, we now know with hindsight that it didn't and it was never going to work because that style of football just has its ceiling in, this, in the highest level and it clearly was never going to keep us up. But yeah... Um, it was disappointing in the end how that worked out, but with hindsight, we probably should have sacked him in the summer, right, and got someone else like Deserby, for example. <laughs> oh, don't. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. That's too painful. Uh, Dan, you have anything on this? So, in, just in terms of, if we just narrow it down to this season, um, it's mostly on Marsh, isn't it? Um, I mean, we've got players coming out and basically complaining that they weren't prepared, as in Luke Ayling. Like, now, 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 whether Luke Ayling is basically just making excuses for, for himself or not, the manager's job, the coach's job is to give players confidence that they can go out and perform. And Jesse Marsh and the coach, well, the coaching staff generally didn't do that. Jesse Marsh had two, oh, one and a half pre-seasons to get them fit. Didn't, according to Luke Ayling, I believe him. Um, I mean, there is some blame to go at There is some blame. Um, but I just, I kind of think it speaks to a, 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 
a bigger issue at the club that that we've got players complaining about the quality of the training. We've got um, Ellen Road is an absolute shambles of a ground. We've got the comms that is an absolute shambles. I think it just speaks to a, a bigger issue of quality and standards at the club. There's no one driving standards. There's no one saying, hang on, there's no one sort of driving excellence at the club from an organisational perspective. The only person that's ever done that in recent years is Bielsa. You know, they hear the story about Bielsa turning up at the training ground and demanding the walls get cleaned and all that kind of stuff. There's no one doing that anymore, is there? It's, it just feels like the whole club is in the gutter and it kind of re- needs a real reset now. Um, and I think because of that kind of lack of standards, chances like Jesse Marsh and Sam Allardyce, who's you know, and 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 and, and Grassi can turn up and 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 get jobs here, and that's that's the bigger problem, I think. And I, I pin that on Rajasani personally, and to a lesser extent, and, and to an extent Alter as well. And I want I want to add one more point. Sorry, um, I think fans currently are, are finding ways of blaming individual players at the end of yep. a season, and that is obviously not the thing to focus on. I think there's larger issues, deeper rooted issues throughout the club um, from top to bottom that need addressing first before you start thinking of digging out players who are missing big chances. Yeah, okay, they should do better. Like Bamford missing against Leicester was a, a massive opportunity and that game was a massive opportunity at the time, but we had massive opportunities in game week 18 and game week 12 and game week 30. It doesn't really yeah. matter. Like in, in the course of a season, there are lots of moments like that. So pinning it on players at the very end of a campaign is, to me, just not really the thing to do and it's not really the time there's there's much more blame to be shared to people in the hierarchy and higher ups than individual players in my opinion i mean i mean show me a club in the premier league in mid table that hasn't made bad transfers that hasn't got transfer decisions wrong that hasn't got players in there that aren't that, that are imperfect for their squad but they are not in the position we're in because you know they have good coaches that can smooth these issues yeah. over we have had Bad coaches. I mean, look at the state of the under twenty ones. I mean, did anybody watch the the West Brom game that we should have should have been the game where we seal promotion? I mean, the level of football in that game was appalling. They were just humping the ball into the wind and you know wondering why they weren't <laughs> getting anywhere. The, the, you know, the level of coaching at the club, I think, is in, is in the is in the gutter. Personally, I just yeah. You know. Um, just an example, you know, I, I, you know, with, with the quality of players they've got in that twenty one team, they should have steamrolled that West Brom team, and they didn't. Um, so I just, I just think standards at the club are really low, and, I, and I, this is why I'm really, really, really keen for a reset with the with the 49ers. Not that I'm massively have any hope in the 49ers, but we just need something, don't we, to kind of get, yeah, something, yeah, to get Kinnear out, to get Radizani out, get these people out that don't understand what it takes to run a, a good business, a good organisation. In my view, a lot of their uh, downfalls was covered by Bielsa for a long time, and yep. he was the glue that held ev- ev- everything together. He was the player the manager who was going to these the under twenty ones and helping out with that, watching them play, and you, you don't yep. you just don't see that. And I think Bielsa went to every single one, or at least everyone that he could, if he wasn't training the first team. So just little things like that, and you just don't have, like you said, that level of excellence which we want to uphold yep. since he's gone. And there's so many things which can be glued together by that. Imagine you're an 18 year old player just playing for the 21s, and all of a sudden you look over and Bielsa's watching you. You're gonna sh- you're gonna sharp up, aren't you? <laughs> you're gonna tra- you're gonna train hard. You're gonna play hard. You're gonna concentrate. You know, not, not, you know, there's none of that anymore at the club, is there? It's it's interesting that we're all talking about this and the pure like, apathy we're almost all feeling, and we just want the season to be over mm. now, and we just want to reset yeah. in the championship with a fresh start. Like I am 
totally at peace with going down to the championship and I've, I'm completely fine with having a reset there. I know there's issues with that. The championship can be a bit of a lottery, but it doesn't take a huge amount to get out of that league as well. If you, if you run right and you get the appointment of the director of football and the um, manager right, and we do need to sort that. I know we'll talk about it in a future podcast, so I won't go into it too much, but that's what we need to happen now. And I think that's what we're all more excited for than anything. I, I, this is, sounds awful, but I really don't care which league we're in now at all. And I, like I would happily go down. It it doesn't bother me at this point. I know that's like for a lot of Premier League fans, they'll be like, "What do you mean?" But that's the point we're at with Leeds. Same. Yep. Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. I'm past the point of caring where we are. We just need to do something different. And yes, I want. It just needs to happen. You want the project you can believe in, don't you? You want to see a, You want to see something you can believe in, and, and absolutely cannot believe in what we're seeing now. Exactly. So yeah. No, yeah. it's so hard to believe in. But anyway, yeah. we've one done- last game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's talk about the final game of the season. So, Spurs. How are Spurs playing at the moment under Ryan Mason? Dan, give us a brief on Spurs. Very badly. Um, <laughs> I've not watched a ton of Spurs, but I've had a bit of a look this week in prep for this pod. Um, I watched a bit of the Villa game. They played Villa recently, um, away at Villa, and I mean, yeah, that was it, it. Was a grim watch. I can see why Spurs fans are um, are upset and probably feeling sim- similar emotions to us at the moment. Like it's a bit of a club in limbo, isn't it? In a club that's kind of lost its way and is ready for a new coach to come in and and, and fix it for them. Um, so I just had a bit of a look, and generally speaking, in terms of how they they set up and line up, the, the, they've been a four. Sorry, a three-four-three team. Um, I think they were that way under Conte, and I think Ryan Mason's kept it going. Although it did look like they played four-four-two against Brentford last week um, in the in the defeat. But I think generally speaking, they're a three-four-three team. So I'm not sure how they're going to approach these in that respect. My guess is they're going to go back three-four-three again, just because that's what they've played more often than not. But I don't know for certain. Um, Forster seems to be the main guy in goal these days. Uh, I presume. I presume, uh, I presume, you know, that, that's going to be a big change in the future. Uh, they've got generally play a back three with Davis either left back or left centre back in the three. Then they'll have Romero and Dyer or Langley. So they'll have three from those four as the back three. Um, Emerson, Porro, Perisic or Sessignon, the full back. So I guess Porro and Emerson, probably the first choices. Perisic. Um, I think centre mids at the moment, they've got a few injuries. So Benton, Kerr and Bissouma are injured. So. Probably expect it to be skipping Holberg in the middle for them. Um, and then Kane, Son, and then one of Richarlison or Kuliseski is the front three as a rule. So it's a fairly settled team. I think we can, you know, fairly predict it. We can predict it fairly well. Um, in terms of how they approach the game, they tend to be quite passive. They're not a very aggressive team. And, you know, they'll, they'll sit back into kind of mid block and, and drop back into a back five or a, or, or, a, or, a, or a back three with a five across in front of that back three. So, um, like I say, very passive. They'll leave Harry Kane on his own up front and, and kind of drop back, and, and they're just trying. They kind of, kind of, they kind of try and generate space, don't they? So they try and win the ball back in deeper areas, so they can then counter with players like Kane as, as like a pivot and 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 Son and, and Richarlison on the break. That's how they tend to play. Um, I know under Conte previously they were quite keen on generating these kind of artificial transitions that kind of deserve is now famous for. We might see them try and do some of that. They might try, you know, them, we might see them try and kind of draw us in and, and play the ball on the back and then hit us on the break type thing. Um, but it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty um, slow and tepid stuff really from what I've seen of them. So they don't scare me a great deal beyond the names on the paper, yeah. if that makes sense. I agree with that. And I'll just add one small thing, which is that their last away win was in January against Fulham. So if anyone wants a little bit of hope, there you go. 
Yeah, Ooh, we've seen some hope from Adam of all people. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah um, I, th- I actually noticed a bit bit of a difference in the Brentford game. That that's the game that I watched of theirs. Um, they actually they actually looked a bit more pressy actually. Um, we're in the, in the four four two, it was a, a pretty high press at times, and uh, they had a, a pressing unit of five actually. Uh, both strikers, left mid, right mid, and one of one of the central midfielders also. Um, but that did lessen off when they got to the second half. So uh, I'm not sure if it's, if it's something that they can keep up for long periods, but it is something that, that they did definitely do against Brentford. So we could well see similar against us. Um, but not that you really need to do that against us. <laughs> we, you can let us have the ball as much as you want and we won't do anything with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the most of what you said there was correct. They've got a lot of fun players, but they just aren't really a good side at the moment. Um, they've got Dan Juma, Kulusevsky, Son, Kane, that, the those far players that should be a fun side. It, it absolutely should be a fun yeah. side, and it all seems like all they've got is moments. Like the game against Brentford, the goal they scored was a Harry Kane, unbelievable beauty, goal. absolutely beauty. Kulusevski sort of backheeled it from the free kick, and he just bent it into the top corner. And those are the sort of things that you have to watch out from Spurs, and we've seen it time and time again. So that is something that we will have to be aware of: is that we can't give them space at the edge of the box at all. They've got a few players who can hit hit them from distance, so uh, I still have found plenty of things watching that to be worried about. They've got they've got players who will definitely be dangerous against us, and I think they're very dangerous in, in transition as well. I know that shouldn't be something which we are that vulnerable to. We I wouldn't have thought we would be massively open under Allardyce, but it is still something that they are very dangerous at, and. I do think we'll, well, we'll get into the, their vulnerabilities. Like I was about to go into more stuff, but we'll be getting into that later. Uh, so we'll go and move on to the Leeds lineup. And can you see any changes in the way we approach this game, Adam? Um, he did sort of intimate that there might have to be because of Bamford's injury, didn't he? After the game in the press conference, um, so possibly. Um, obviously, we've talked about Bamford already, and I think him missing would be an absolutely massive loss because of not just the way. Allardyce likes to play, but also just in terms of a shape, I don't know what we would do. And if he does want to change it, that might throw a bit of a spanner in the works. He might want to match Spurs up 3-4-3. I don't think he will, but he might do that. Um, it's possible. If he doesn't, I think it'll be largely the same. Um, I think it'll be Rob in goal. I think it'll be Ailing, Christensen, Verber, and um, Firpo's suspended, isn't he? Or is it only a one-match ban? He could be back. I think he's, I think he's back. Yeah, just so one, he just might, one he match. He might start, yeah. Um, Probably cock in midfield again. He seems to like him there. And if that's the case, he'll be with Forshaw and McKenney again, I would imagine, um, to stodge it up a little bit like he has done. Uh, he might have to play one of Creason Mavilla or Monto. Um, wouldn't be surprised again if one of those would back in. Harrison should start. And I think if he gets substituted again, I'll be really frustrated because I know he can be a frustrating player, but we need him. We do. And, and this is the sort of game where he does come alive, you know, in, in those moments. He can be one of those players, one of those moments players. And then it'll be Rodrigo up front. If it is a 4-5-1, 4-2-3-1 sort of thing, like he has done in most of the games. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, he might just go crazy and do a 3-4-3 because he did sort of suggest that there might be a, a change in shape. Yeah, that'd be interesting if we did see something different. Um, Dan, do you think uh, anything different to what Adam said there? No, not really, no. I mean, my preference would be for Harrison and Somerville to flank Rodrigo as the front three. Me too. That'll be my preference, but I, I suspect Nonto is higher in the pecking order. So I, I would think it'd be Nonto and Harrison. But personally, I would choose Somerville. I think he's played better than Nonto recently. Um, 
Um, so that's it, really. Yeah, I, I don't think um, I think the midfield set now, isn't it? As, as long as um, Forshaw's fit enough to play again, start again. Um, I didn't, didn't mind McKenney in the more advanced role. I thought McKenney had an okay game at West Ham, or at least in the first half. Um, it's, it's obviously his role, isn't it, when he plays that kind of more advanced kind of attacking eight, if you like, if you want to call it that role that he played against um, West Ham. So if you're going to get anything from McKenney, it's, it's from that role, isn't it? And I'd like to just shout out his, his, his throw-ins. I do actually really like his throw-ins. Yeah, they're the same. I absolutely <laughs> lo- love them. They're absolutely ginormous. It's like the technique. Yeah. It's like a javelin throw, isn't it? Because he comes in sideways, doesn't he? And like flicks it like almost like a javelin throw. It's fantastic. Okay, he kind of whips his yeah. shoulder as well, so I move it to the side just before yeah, yeah. to get that extra leverage. Yeah, yeah. But one of the parts I've enjoyed under Allardyce really has been his his long throws. Although I do think that we maybe they tried them a little bit too deep. There was one moment um, in yeah. the second half where Big Sam was urging everyone to get forward, like, get forward, get forward, and uh, sh- 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 <laughs> we yeah, caught, we got we? caught massively on the transition because the throw-in just re- barely reached the box, and then then was struggling to deal deal with the yeah. transition. Then, but yeah, as a whole. for the record, I'm I'm not advocating signing McKinney because of his long <laughs> throw-in, but let's just you know let's let's just enjoy the one element of him that, that we can. But um, yeah, just in, t- in terms of the lineup, yeah, I think it'll be the same. Um, but with Rodrigo for Bamford, essentially centre forward and, and a winger coming in. My yeah, yep, that sounds. I agree with that largely. And next, where do you think that we can hurt them? Um, we'll come to you, Adam. Um, I think that something you mentioned against Brentford was the um, when they press quite aggressively Spurs, which they did in that game. There is space behind, and Mbumo uh, exploited that perfectly twice. Um, and I think if we can get one of Somerville. Harrison or Nonto on the shoulder there and play a decent pass of some description because that was an amazing pass for one of them from Hickey from right back um, then there is joy to be had there I think that's definitely an area of weakness for them um, depending on which shape they're in if they're in a 3-4-3 they might not have that as much as in the four I think when they pushed forward with their fullbacks it, it gave them spaces there but yeah I think that's definitely one way um, I, I hate getting into this sort of thing but I do think that the crowd is going to have an impact on this game because I think if they're nervous um, and it's felt by the players, then I don't think they're going to... I think it'll be the same against West Ham where we were quite passive, not confident. Whereas if the fans are really up for this, I think it's going to help the players and it's going to give them a little bit of a, a boost. I, I, I hate talking about that sort of like intangible thing, but I do think it's going to play a part in this. And if we can keep it tight for about 20, 25 minutes and the fans are, are sort of feeling like, oh, there's something could happen here, then... Maybe, maybe we will be able to score. Spurs aren't a stupidly scary team, and I think that they've been especially poor away from home this season. So there is no reason not to have a little bit of a go here. It's just I don't know what that's going to mean. Is it going to mean that we? Because Sam obviously doesn't like Big Sam doesn't like to press in too high and too intensely, generally speaking. So is if he going to have to do that? If he does, then maybe we'll get into the half and might make some forays at goal. But I don't know because I don't know how passive he plans to be. Um, to keep it tight for, for say half an hour and then see what we can do after that or not yet. Yeah, I, I actually think it would probably be better to sit back a bit against them. I do think that they mm. do they, they do struggle more against that. Um, they have players who can hit long balls, so if we do try to press, they will just go long. Um, and they have they have players who can be beat our players in a one v one matchup quite easily. Um, they've got Dan Juma on the right, Son on the left, Kulusevski up top with Kane dropping deeper it's just a recipe for trouble if we do press too high I think yeah if they can hit if they can hit Kane in that kind of that kind of pivot number 10 position almost and he can turn and pivot and play mm-hmm. out we're in trouble aren't we in a big way he's so good at that he's isn't he Kane I mean 
I'm kind of I'm kind of in a weird way looking forward to seeing Kane. Okay, I remember John going to the game last season, and he said it. Something yeah. that struck him was how good Kane was, and he had an absolute blinder at yeah. Ellen Road last season. I didn't go to that. Yeah, John was in my seat oh, that right. game. I didn't see it. So I've, I've not actually seen Kane play in, in the flesh yet. So I'm kind of looking forward to that, really, because I mean he's had a great season in a bad bad Unbelievable. team. Unbelievable. I mean he's carried them, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah. I mean they'd be nowhere near where they are in the league without Kane. No. Would they? I mean he's essentially got them. In contention for Europe on his own, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. When Son and Kulazewski have seasons where they're a little bit down on their usual numbers, which they have been, and Kane still put up the numbers yeah. he has, it's, yeah, yeah. it's remarkable, to be honest. You can see how much the guy cares for, for Spurs. He absolutely can. And he really does put in 100% every, every game. And I do, I'm a big fan of his as well. He's just such a fa- superb player. Um, we don't often see it as good for England, but for Spurs... He really, he really does care. I think. Um, so next, how will this game play play <laughs> out? Uh, we'll come to you, Dan, first. Yeah. So I expect, like, like you say, I think Sam will probably recognise that sitting off Spurs is probably not a bad idea. I think Sam will recognise that. So I can see it being quite a bit of a possibly a bit of a, a quiet, tentative game for the first fifteen minutes or so, where both teams sort of feel each other out a bit. Spurs won't want to come hard at Leeds, or maybe they will, but you know that. Naturally, Spurs want to kind of create those transitional moments. They might sit back trying to create them, and Leeds might try and do the same. So it might be a bit of a nothing game. And then I guess it's kind of um, who holds the nerve and breaks. I guess might, might be the might be the thing that decides this game. Um, I mean, one thing I noticed in the De Villa game I watched, De Villa got in behind in kind of wide areas quite a lot. You know, that kind of classic thing against the back three. They kind of got in behind the wide centre backs and made some made some cutbacks. Now I don't know if we something we would do in, in, under Sam Allardyce, you know, kind of get into wide areas and cut back for on-running players. But if we can kind of generate that kind of, you know, if we can kind of draw Spurs out and then hit them on the kind of, with diagonal balls into wingers and stuff, there's, there's a chance we might be to hurt them. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not holding up too much hope, really. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I'm not sure if pullback is in Big Sam's um, vocabulary. No, it's not, is it? It's a, no. it's it's a low shame. cross. It's yeah. a low cross. Low cross, but it doesn't. But it, yeah, it doesn't I, mean, like I saw Villa do it quite a bit against against Spurs, and it's definitely a weakness of theirs. You know, those they're kind of quite a static back three, and I think if you can get kind of balls diagonally going past them, you know, with on running players, you get you get joy against Spurs. But yeah, I'm not sure. Something we'll see. Nope, that's fair. Adam, anything to add on that? Um, I'm just really worried about us having an out ball and a ball just come, as soon as they get a little bit of sort of dominance in terms of the um, where they're situated on the pitch. If they're in our half camps and we're trying to get the ball out, I just worry about who the outlet's going to be. Are we going to have to hit into channels and just have wingers running onto stuff and, and trying to get out that way? Because if we're hitting Rodrigo, it's just not going to work. And that's the thing that I'm really worried about. And I think if they can pin us, um, then we're going to really struggle. They might struggle to break us down, which is completely fair, but it will also mean that we just can't get out and create stuff of our own, really. So it might just have to be transitions at that point. And maybe that might be nothing. Like Dan just said, if we can get a winger sort of cutting the ball back um, for a player running in, then, yeah, there's definitely a, a way to go that way. So hopefully that is one of them for us. I, I think set pieces, I think McKinney's throw-ins might hurt them as well. I can see Spurs struggling with that, actually. I think we've been fairly good with set pieces, haven't we, of late? Yeah. Yeah, that's best. better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's a fair point. It is something which I don't think many teams really have to defend often because long for us is such a something that's not seen, really. There's maybe, what, there's mm. us and... I think do Brentford also do, do that sometimes. Brentford, yeah, Brentford yeah. also do it. And uh, John loves their long throws, but he probably hates ours. He probably hates ours. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, finally, where will this game be won or lost, um, Adam? Uh, does it matter? We're, we're relegated. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I I genuinely feel like even if we manage to win, we're going to go down. Um, so sorry to come back to normal level of Adam right now and go back to my pessimistic self. But if we win an Everton draw, we'll go down on goal difference. So it doesn't really matter. Um, where will it might be won or lost? I think for us, possibly in those transitional moments um, where we can maybe get a cutback to someone like Rodrigo or a midfield runner on the edge of the box or just inside the area, that is definitely a way to go for us, especially if we can keep it tight for, for a while and frustrate Spurs. Um, and the crowd might start to grow in confidence uh, if that happens. So that's definitely one way. And not letting Kane dictate. And if he can get, if we can stop him from dictating and, and having those runners like the Sons, the Kozewskis, uh, the Danjumas, the Richarlsons, the, those other players in attack that will just sort of run from out to in and he'll just hit them, then yeah, we should be, well, could be okay. Like I said, they haven't won in a Premier League match away from home since January, which generally speaking means that Leeds just lose and go down with a whimper. But Hopefully, <laughs> we win and get relegated either way. Um, that's probably what's going to happen. Dan, anything on this? Yeah, I think at some point we come out and try and play, don't we, and the killers on the on the counter. I think Kane will do that, exactly that, at the moment. So, yeah, I think we lose this game fairly comfortably, personally. <laughs> yeah, um, I wish I could throw yeah. any too much optimism in there, but I do think that we will probably lose. Um, I just think that, that their individual play- moments players are going to have too much for us. And... I'm just not sure if we have the confidence to be able to battle that at the moment. And who knows? We couldn't. F- football is a crazy thing, but it's... it is. But to end on a really cheery note, both Opta and Five Thirty Eight have us at about a ninety-seven, ninety-eight percent chance of relegation. <laughs> so even if we win, we're relying Ooh. on Leicester and Everton. And yeah, it probably means we're done. <laughs> yep, that's on that very cheery note. Uh, we will leave you. Um, so we'll be back next time for reviewing the Spurs game and also briefing you what's going to be happening over the summer. Got lots of fun plans for the pod over the summer. You're all going to love it. So for now, I'll say bye to Dan. Awesome. Cheers, mate. Been a pleasure. And bye and thank you to Adam. Thank you very much, mate. Thanks for having me back on at last. Yeah, it's been great having you back. But hopefully we'll see you some more over the summer. Indeed. Great stuff. And dear listener, thank you once again for listening and have a good week. Bye.